0: Today's conversation with Kant is full of colourful language and subject matter. Please do with that information as you will. These recordings are taking place on Lekwungen traditional territories. This place is now known as the Esquanmalt and Songhees, First Nations traditional lands. I am a settler on these lands. In honour of what has taken place here, I walk with the intention to action of honoring and atoning. Welcome to the Witch's Diagnostic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Dancing Otter, and today I'm in conversation with my good friend, Fox Kent. Welcome, Foxy.
1: Hi, thanks, Don. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess I'll do my introduction for everybody out there. Um, my name is Fox Kent. Uh, I go by Foxy on the internet. Um, I'm a trans woman. I'm a screenwriter and a um, multimedia creator. I make YouTube videos, um, kind of about storytelling and the the intersection of storytelling and politics um, and our lives and how stories affect how the stories we tell about ourselves and about the world we live in um, affects our us as individuals and um, our communities and our our um, larger experiences, um, as human beings as well. So if, uh, you can find me, um, on YouTube at Fox Tales, um, F-O-X-X-T-A-L-E-S. And yeah, um, I'm here to kind of talk about that and some of my experiences, um, with my life, I suppose.
0: Fox, I, I've known you a lot of years now, it seems. hmm Um, and... You made the transition to live you know, outwardly as a woman, mm-hmm. um, reflecting your inward world um, somewhere in in there, and I can't remember exactly when it happened. But um, so I've known you, I've known you for a number of years, and more mm-hmm. recently as a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know you to be. Uh, the life path you've chosen, worldview you've chosen is more animism based. Um, And I'm curious as to how living as a trans woman uh, is met in animism.
1: Yeah, um, in my experience, and I mean, and in the experience of like, I've I've run into quite a few trans and non-binary people who could easily be described um, as practicing some sort of animism um, or some sort of like variant that could have been taken from animist practices. Um, And I think, I guess I'll go back um, because I think we met for the first time in 2011. I took one of your courses. Um, And one of the things with queer experience generally and trans experience, In particular, is is that it's kind of always this like permanent um, state of coming out to people. Um, So um, I first knew for sure that I was a trans woman um, like sometime in two thousand and nine, February fourteenth, ten thirty p.m. I can tell you the place. (laughs) And um, in between that time um, and getting to a place where I thought I could transition um, and that I thought that like I could even come out to close friends and family was a years of a process and that's very common. Um, And it was also around that time um, I started moving um, a bit more into um, looking into the occult and looking into things like animism. And I started with Started reading James Andrewes' books um, on eco shamanism, and getting involved more with um, intentional earth centered communities. And I kind of always um, like my my cultural background um, pre settler is largely from. Um, Scandinavian cultures, where you know, even into the 20th century, there were elements of animism still present in um, the ongoing colonization of various um, groups of people living in Scandinavia, um, and also kind of it, it was—it's one of those things that, in various ways, has kind of just been combined with um, with um, our mythologies in an ongoing fashion, but they kind of, the, the, one of the things that I love to talk about, one of the things that I talk about a lot on my YouTube channel um, is this idea of sacred stories, what makes a story sacred and what makes a story secular. Um, and on an individual level, we all kind of have different stories um, that we tell about ourselves in our lives um, that matter more than others. Um, and when we are constructing a worldview, we usually take something like, uh, you know, the easiest one for most people to understand is that it's Christianity and Christianity sets out a world war- view for you. It has, um, this is how the universe was created. These are the rules that the universe functions by. This is the sandbox you get to play in. Um, and when that becomes the dominant narrative for people, um, narratives like animist narratives become, um, stories, they become fiction, they become um, entertainment as opposed to um, something that is sacred for you. And um, I've always really enjoyed transformation stories. Um, I think one of the first um, pieces of fiction that I can remember writing was a transformation story, Um, a personal transformation story that was like in the third grade um <laughs> and um when i started to kind of develop more um into spirituality coming out of a a christian paradigm um animism was something that really like fit with me and it fit with my identity as a queer person. And I guess this, this story is all going to come out at the same time because um, it's it's impossible to kind of take it apart from one another. I started using Fox as a name in high school, like a good 10 years before um, I even had any idea that um, transness was a thing or it was a thing that could be for me. Because um, in the 90s, there was like, there are gay men and sometimes gay men dress like women but they're men who dress like women and they're cross-dressers and then there are gay women who sometimes are tomboys but they like women and that's it that's 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 queerness right the q and the t they're there but we don't talk about them (laughs) yeah i certainly
0: relate in that in that sense like there was no real broad uh spectrum of gender reflections or gender representations. It was just really very binary and, mm-hmm. and very little bits of crossover. That's what I remember. I mean, I, I'm i 50 now. So, you know, my my youth largely, like predominantly was designed in, you know, the 70s and 80s. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I got to 90, the 90s, where you're talking about, <laughs> um, I, I had very binary, I mean, I certainly knew like a lot of gay people, I think I probably had more gay friends than straight friends, but mm-hmm. which happens when you're uh, in performing arts, I think, mm-hmm. just naturally. But um, I also am aware, and I mean, I'll have you maybe go into that a little bit of uh, how we're starting to uh, create more capacity, maybe uh, of of welcoming for um, different representations of gender and different expressions of gender um, and different uh, different ways of us showing up or perhaps uh, opening the field as wide as it needs to open
1: yeah um, let me like I'll get I'll get into that I guess um, kind of coming through here so yeah we talked about the, the binary was very strong and so like in the 90s I I came out as bisexual as a teenager um, to one person who promptly told the school drag queen who asked me out at school. And that put me right back in the closet real quick. Um, Don't out people without their permission audience out there. Don't it's bad. Um, (laughs) And then um, so there was this one night I was at a party um, in Victoria and right near the end of my university degree. And I, there were like, obviously signs before, like I'd done gender affirming things behind closed, locked doors when I knew nobody was going to be home for 48 hours or whatever. Like I'd paint my toenails and then take it off. Um, <laughs> like this is, this is the kind of like, uh, and this is in my like late teens, early twenties. So. Um, well after I would have ideally been figuring this shit out. Um, and I took ecstasy for the first time. Do not recommend this as a way to find out how queer you are. (laughs) Um, It is not necessarily the easiest, but um, yeah, I I, um, got high at a party and like an hour into that, I was like, when, when the, um, the, um, all the anxiety falls away and like, you can, you can be social with people without having any of the like, Oh no! What are they? They're going to judge me. I was like, "Hey, um, sometimes I get my friends to call me Fox on the internet, and I'd really like it if you could do that." And without a beat, one of the people in the room was like, "Oh, hey! One of our friends moved to San Francisco and became a woman and named it, changed their name to Kitten Fox." And there was just like the longest, most pregnantest pause um, after that moment, and like because I hadn't even considered it before then. And then like after that, I was like, "Fuck." Well, fuck. (laughs) Um, And I ended up in a cocktail dress for the the rest of the night and that was really interesting. And then after that, it's figuring out how to reconcile this. Like coming out of university, I don't have a job. Um, I am not out to anybody in any way about anything else. Um, And then there's all the normal like internalized transphobia stuff it will never work, I'll never pass, that could never be for me, I'm deluding myself. Um, and so it's been a journey from there to like get to where I am now and, and, um, and with a lot of like various bumps and pit stops along the way. Um, and you asked about um, the kind of binary stuff um, and if there's space now, okay, wow. Yes. And at the same time, um, I'm really fortunate. I live in a place that has protections for trans people. Um, Canada's pretty good. BC's one of three or four jurisdictions in the world that I would consider living right now in terms of my personal, like health and safety, to to maximize my personal health and safety. Um, and not even all of BC, mostly like the Lower Mainland and the Capital Regional District. Um, and even here, like even here, I will get street harassment if, I don't even need to go out in a dress. <laughs> I've had people yell at me from a car just for looking like a kind of queer person. Um, so. Uh... Yeah, still then,
0: that's amazing no. um, I'm yeah. sorry to just be shocked by that uh but I I do find that surprising being a west coast human that that's part you know you're part of your world at the moment uh,
1: yeah and I mean a big part of it like <laughs> being trans um <clears throat> pardon me being trans has kind of like become the center of the culture war, um, not necessarily by the choice of trans people, but by the choice of the fact that there are powerful moneyed interests. Oh goodness, that sounds terrible. Um, but it's true. Um, who are very interested in reinforcing their worldview on what constitutes, um, a family and, um, cultural hierarchies and things like that. Um, So in the United States now, there are pushing 40 states, which are considering some sort of anti-trans legislation, some to the point that they're basically trying to legislate trans people out of existence. Um, Texas, for example, has passed a bill that would criminalize people who either sought or provided youth with trans-affirming care, which means parents could have their children taken away if they affirm that their kids are trans. Um, Florida tried to pass a bill that required genital checks of any student athlete who anybody might suspect might be trans. Um, Oh my
0: God. Okay. Just let me take my head around that for a second. Um, and just pa- like pregnant mm-hmm. pause that, mm-hmm. um, I can't, that is like child abuse really.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, what, what, what then happens for that child? Mm-hmm. And we are talking about children. Mm-hmm. Um, 10,
1: 11, 12 years old. There is a, a, a story this year happened this year where, um, A girl on a girl's soccer team, a cis girl, a cis girl on a girl's soccer team had short hair and they banned the team because they're like, you can't prove that's not a boy. This is unfair. They're 12 years old. There's no, nobody's gone through puberty. There's no at all a physical advantage before people. This is kind of like the focal point of anti-trans stuff is like the sports thing and the, um, the bathrooms thing and the change rooms thing. Um, and the whole thing is a leading edge of an argument that says trans people shouldn't exist. We should take away their rights to exist. But the leading edge is I have concerns. I have concerns about um, trans girls in girls sports because it's unfair. And that's the first part of it.
0: I think there, there's a lot of confusion around, around that issue. Um, mm-hmm. and there, there's some considerations to be made around the influence that you know, testosterone has on a body mm-hmm. that um, not that uh, like I'm, I'm totally open-minded to the greater good
2: mm-hmm. of,
0: of that issue, the greater mm-hmm. good. Um, I, I feel like where people get all tied up is in the biological question of the influence of something like testosterone. Which, yeah. um, as a woman, I I will say, like I'm I'm a very strong human. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can lift. I can, like I'm very uh, you know dexterous. Uh, but I, you know, if a man my size or even a little smaller or Hmm. bigger than me decided decided to take me on physically I probably would not win that confrontation Um, yeah
1: yeah and I mean that's that's a lot of what this comes down to is like are you really making a man play sports with women um the science that we have which is surprisingly extensive um even though it's not as well studies as studies as it could be um has shown that like and, and this is what the, Olympic, the Olympics are cool with this. So like we're talking with, we're, and, and there's almost two conversations ha- happening concurrently here, because on the one hand there's like, should boys be able to compete with girls at an elite level? Like should trans women um, at the Olympic level or the masters level or the professional level be allowed to compete with cis women? And almost every single sporting body on the planet has said, yes, trans women should compete with cis women at an elite level. And to this day, and that was in, I think, 2006, to this day, not a single trans woman has qualified for an Olympic slot in any sport.
0: To that, I just want to follow up, follow Mm -hmm. up question. Is Mm -hmm. that for a lack of of competing in those sports, or is that, is that purely based on, on, uh, you know, inherent talent, strength, etc.? cetera?
1: Um, that's a complex issue. Um, we, there is a, there was a master's cyclist, short track racing cyclist, um, world champion, who's a trans woman. Um, and, oh no, my na- <laughs> names are, s- that's bad. Uh-oh, shoot. Um, Her last name is McKinnon, I think. Um, Rachel McKinnon. Sorry, that's wrong. Dr. Veronica McKinnon. Um, And um, I think that's the only one that has had major success at the international level. And that's at Masters, which is 36 36 and over. For those out there, the requirements for sporting bodies to, to... to meet, um, to allow a trans woman to compete in their event um, are to reduce testosterone. And there's a whole bunch of issues with this, but currently what the regulations are, it's to reduce testosterone to a specific level. And you have to keep it there for um, 12 months. And then you'd be allowed to compete um, in whatever your sport is with with trans women. And in that, or with cis women, My testosterone before transition, before starting hormones was like 28 something 0.5 nanomilliliters or whatever they call them, um, which is like right in the normal range. Now it's in the normal range for cis woman. And there are some leagues that would let me compete with that, but for Olympic qualification, it has to be even lower. Um, And what the science says and this is why it gets so complicated is because there's not like one raw number that says um you know man x has 40 the 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 concentration of testosterone in their blood is like 40 nanomilliliters or whatever um and then this person only has 3 because that's not how it works now that we know the the science behind it you can have a cis man who's an elite athlete who has 3% or like a A testosterone that's super low. It it doesn't. There isn't a direct correlation between um, the amount of testosterone you have as your normal biological system. What matters is the change in that homeostasis. So um, the reason why people get stronger when they are given um, testosterone as a growth hormone or human growth hormone, which is very, very common in, in, um, sports doping. So like you want to get, you want to be a stronger baseball player. You take some testosterone, um, and you get bigger muscles. That's how the thinking goes. Um, but what's really happening is you're taking your testosterone level and you're raising it above what it would naturally be. Um, and in that gap is where that performance increase comes. It's not so much the fact that it is hit, if you hit you know, 35, you're bench pressing 250. And if you hit 40, you're bench pressing 300. It's not how it works. Um, The serum levels are determined by what your body is at. So if I had started at 20 um, and I've, anyways, this is getting way out of what I wanted to talk about. And it's not really what I'm super knowledgeable about. It's like high level biology um, that isn't really the center of my Focus, But what I am getting at is that once you start to look at the performance of adult trans women at an elite level who have taken hormone replacement therapy for a year or more, um, you see about and across the board about a 10% decrease in um, ability. So like, you're gonna if you ran a 40 minute 10k, you're probably going to run a 44 minute 10k. Um, Something like that. That's kind of, that's, that seems to be how it works. The other problem with the whole conversation though, is like, take somebody like me. Um, I am a big human. Um, I'm two meters and like 83 or 84 kilos. Um, in any women's sport, I would be a heavyweight. Um, in men's sport, I'm a middleweight. Um, And part of what's happening is that there's just such a, once you look at the human distribution of bodies, I'm a big person, I'm not the biggest person. I'm not even bigger than cis women who exist. Um, And so if you're gonna ask the question, should a trans woman my size, take me for example, um, would it be safe for me to play ice hockey with cis women? Because I'm bigger, etc. I've gone through quote unquote male puberty. Um then you have to ask the question would it be unsafe for those cis women to play with a cis woman who was bigger than me? Because I've met them, I've dated some. I've met people, I've met cis women who are six, seven and two hundred and five pounds. What would that be? Like two hundred and two centimeters and ninety kilos is it unfair if you have a 200, and this is what, this is, um, we're going to, dom- this is going to dominate the conversation. This is what the rugby federation is going through right now. Um, I think you know. it's a
0: fun, I think it's a good thing to, um, thank you so much for all of that, uh, Foxy. Oh. Cause I, I feel very much like there's a lot of misjudgment like people, like people most people i think are confused about the 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 things within the considerations Mm -hmm. within and you know you're quite right like there's a variability of of beingness in in Mm -hmm. bodies in general and uh i i I was having a long conversation with a good friend of mine um who and he and i were both talking about um BMI like just something like that like BMI as a judge of normalcy in in bodies and what happens when you got like Celtic ancestry and your bones are freaking massive you know or like you're heavier because you're you're the parts of you that are solid are you know they're solid they're not you know small and uh that creates this whole like question about health and i mean i know that might not seem like it's part of this conversation but i just feel like you know what is considered to be normal is is so based on a small fragment of uh you know a, a, it has a racial bias it, it has mm-hmm. a, a gender-based bias and, and it isn't reflective of um actual bodies and uh, not really, anyway. It's not really reflective of actual bodies.
1: Yeah, um, and it, it 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 does tie in directly to what I'm talking about. I think this kind of um, this kind of transphobia impacts cis women too, right? Like, um, if you get, you know, Castor Semenya is a is an uh, elite athlete, but it's a bit of a different case because she's an intersex person. Um, buried within that comes this internalized misogyny of women are intrinsically x men are intrinsically y and then you layer onto this men are supposed to act like x or y and women are supposed to act like x and if you are a man who acts like x and not like y that's bad and punishable um And what happens when you start to apply a framework that looks like that to, say, sports, is it gives you room um, to start to exclude cis people you don't like on the basis of they're not performing gender well enough or sexuality well enough. Um, A good example that I would I'd love to do a video on this at some point. Um, It's kind of on my list. But uh, if you've seen the movie A League of Their Own um, with Tom Hanks. Um, about women's baseball in the 1940s when all the men were off at war, they had the Women's Baseball League. Um, and if you look into the history of that league, it was really gay, which should surprise nobody. Um, is that the but-
0: one with uh, Madonna and uh, Rosie O'Donnell? And It is. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I have seen that, but a really right. long time ago.
1: Right, and the movie is very straight-washed. Um, they had people... They had like matrons with the teams making sure that there weren't any lesbian couples forming. So all of the queerness of that league had to be in secret. Um, and there were women who were good baseball players who didn't get jobs in that league because they were seen as too masculine. Um, and that's an expression of transphobia and it affects cis people too. Um And then you get into the other side. This is why I said there's kind of like two arguments happening here. Because on the one hand, you're talking, you have people being like, oh, but like um, that trans woman might take away um, a cis woman's spot at winning an Olympic medal. Okay, but that's like elite sport. Elite sport is a different conversation than recreational sport and school athletics it's a completely different conversation. That's somebody who has dedicated their professional life to being an athlete, whether it's quote unquote amateur, or it's a quote unquote professional sport. It's you're, you're dedicating your life. You're training six to eight hours a day. um, And you're doing um, additional work in and around that you're thinking about your discipline. um, And it's, you, you have a specific diet. It's, it's a job. It's seven day a week kind of job. to to be an elite athlete at the Olympic level um, or at the professional level. And that's a different conversation because once you're at that point, the difference between um, the best in the world and last place is like half a step. It's a completely different conversation. And like, you know, say I start on hormones and I lose 10%. Well, like if I'm running the, and this is how much it matters. If I was able to run hundred meters in 10 seconds, which is not quite what you'd have to do it to qualify for the Olympics as a man, but then I lose 10%. Now it's 11 seconds. Now you're not even on the board. You won't even make a college team. Right. Like that's elite, right. that's elite sports.
0: Yeah. I think, I think these, these questions <laughs> are so um, like, people don't consider that piece mm-hmm. at all. Um, that, you know, one is not the other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're not talking s- about your, your, you know, your company softball team, really.
1: Right, or even like, you know, youth sports. And this is where it really lands, right? Is that like, um, your kid's soccer team or the high school baseball team. Um, I just wrote a, my march was crazy um i wrote a television pilot that i will hopefully find somebody to buy um that's about a college baseball player in the united states who comes out as a trans woman um and the whole point of the story uh is a it's hopefully will be a television show so like be able to explore this in depth in multiple episodes um but it brings up like it brings up something right at the heart of sporting like of sporting culture which is like on the one hand hyper masculinized especially in men's sports um and then on the other like in America the this idea that sport is a career that it's somehow like um kids do sport in school so they can get a college degree or they can they can get a scholarship or they can get um that it somehow is going to be a reward. There's going to be a reward for doing the sports and it is competitive. Not that sport is intrinsically a good in and of itself um, and that the skills of learning how to use your body um, and learning how to compete um, in a a respectful and um, equitable manner um, and learning how to be a good teammate and learning how to be a good mentor, all of that stuff out the window. Um, and it becomes about who can be the best at the sport and who can be the best, um, who can who can turn it into a college scholarship or a professional career or an Olympic medal, right? Um, and for like kids in, who are 13, 14, who just want to hang out with their friends and play basketball and not get bullied by all the boys who are bullying them for being effeminate. Like I was called a girl for 18 years. So... Uh
0: um, kind of ironic, isn't it a little it's bit super
1: ironic? We yeah. joke about that a lot in trans circles. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thanks um, to all of was, my
1: bullies who saw it before I did.
0: And I'm, I'm sorry that was true for you as well. That, um, during a time of exploration and expansion of worlds that you were um, bullied for it, bullied for being yourself. Uh, that's not right and not okay. And I'm sorry that's true for you. And I'm sure it's true for a a lot of non-conforming people in the world Mm -hmm. and and non-conforming children, especially. This is Dawn Dancing Otter. My main gig is I work as a trauma recovery coach and I deliver animism-based teachings if you're interested in working with me or checking out my website, I'm at theweworkschool.com. I have some new online offerings for self-healing. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I'm specifically referring to Foxes here, um, but <clears throat> there's lots of shape-shifting um, animism, animism at its base, animism at its base is a shapeshifting. Is this idea around shapeshifting um, as a thing? Um, it's kind of hard to like have this idea of taking embodying an animal um, without having some sort of idea of shapeshifting, right? So like, uh, werewolves is an example of mythologically, a werewolf is like Christianity's reaction to animism, right? Um, and when you start to look at cultures outside of Christianity and how they express things in an animist way, um, you find that gender fluidity and animism are usually pretty closely linked. Um, and the one example I really like to use specifically for me, um, is foxes in Japan, um, are like one of the major, and, and for those who don't know, Shinto is slightly, but the pre-Shinto beliefs of um, Japanese people, and I mean more like the folk beliefs of Japanese of the Japanese culture, the various cultures that make up the the country of Japan, um, was very much an animist based culture, uh, spiritual culture, uh, and still to a large degree is. Um, my some a lot of my time there, um, it's pretty clear that like. Japanese conceptions of a well-balanced ecosystem includes at least some sort of recognition of this, of, of animism and like you're building, you're putting out, um, I'm not even going to say totems cause they're not, but they'll build like, um, you know, they'll decorate their garden with, with statues of frogs and cranes and stuff like that, because they're part of the natural environment that keeps their life going. Um, and in that culture, foxes are fairly important um, and they've been mythologized to the point of having like fairly significant mythic figures. Um, one of the deities in Japanese folklore, Inari, who is the god of rice, um, is said to transform into foxes sometimes, or the foxes are the messenger of Inari. Um, but how- they are represented. The mythical beings, the word for fox in Japanese is kitsune, and it's also the reference to the mythical beings, which are different, but same word. Um, The mythologized version are creatures who can change their gender at will, and do so frequently. Um, And like a lot of their mythologies are based around, um, you know, of course, there's, there's some trickster magic in here. We're talking about foxes and stuff. Um, and I mean, that's a whole other conversation about the trickster archetype and queerness, queerness in general. Um, but yeah, so like, there's this direct relationship between animist cultures and specifically transgender identities, um, and also just queerness in general. I was, um, I was reading a really interesting thread um, on Twitter from um, an indigenous creator they were talking about how indigenous cultures didn't just accept that there were queer people, they would center queerness. They would look in for, they they would look at it in a relational way instead of um, an assimilationist kind of way. So like, what does this person need? Are they left behind? Are they being included? because they're unique, Um, and and centering queerness in your culture as opposed to putting it on the outside and trying to ignore that it exists, Um, or treating it as though it is outside of your culture, Um, that you have a relationship to queer people, that they are part of your communities, that those relationships are what what makes you part of who you are. and how a colonial mindset disrupts that. Um, And there you go.
0: (laughs) Well, that's very, um, that's grand and really important information. So I'm glad that you took the time with that Fox. To me, feminism has always been about uh, becoming uh, peaceful and and inclusive of Mm Of people of all expressions, um, and now I notice there's this radical breaking away of feminism to a different faction, which is mm-hmm. uh, biologic biologically exclusive. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's or um, or cis exclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. When I say biologically, I mean just like they would define themselves as biologically exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Um, or they would say that's the difference. The difference is I'm biologically exclusive, but I understand that what they're saying is they're cis-exclusive, and that they would not say that to themselves that they're cis. Uh, they would not call themselves cis. They would say there's women and then trans women, uh, or uh, in or in some other ca- in some other way cast aspersions to um, people who are trans and. My wondering is, to, you know, what is your experience with feminists in this world in that respect? Um, and is there a, uh, is there a, is that, beca- is that gaining steam? Is that, is that getting uh, more complex
1: for you? Um, personally, yes. And especially on the internet um you get a lot of people who have way too much time on their hands um and there's kind of like a cadre of what we call second wave feminists um especially theorists from the the late 70s and early 80s um who are what we would call gender exclusionists or radical trans exclusionary radical feminists and that was a term that they coined and then gave to themselves and then when it became not really politically beneficial, they tried to shift that terminology to call themselves gender critical, or people who are critical of gender ideology. Um, Ideology being um, this idea that they're quote-unquote transing the world, that big trans is um, destabilizing western culture or something like that is kind of the argument did Um, you think
0: big trans
1: i definitely said big trans every conspiracy theory if you boil it down far enough comes back to there is a secret cabal it is anti-semitic of very powerful people who are trying to push the world for their own gain whatever the pet thing i don't like is right now um
0: i can't even big trans
1: yep So like the, this idea that like, I know this. So what's happening is is this idea that like people like me coming on a show like this um, or hanging out on the internet with young people. um, One of them comes out as trans or non-binary. And then suddenly you have this group of five kids. Who's like, we're all, we're all trans and gay. We're not, you know, um, and it's spreading like wildfire. And what the the terminology they use is rapid onset gender dysphoria um, where like the, the And they got that term from interviewing the parents of transgender youth and specifically a group of parents who were against their children transitioning. That's It is a very dishonest business, some of the um, anti-trans skeptic stuff um, in how they do their studies. Um, but the argument is, well, suddenly this kid has just heard of transgenderism and then boom, they're coming out and they're blowing up their entire life and they're taking um, sterilizing hormones Um, and they're cutting their body apart. Um, if you ever spend time on Twitter, I don't recommend it. Um, and come across like transphobic harassment. Um, it frequently will include, um, very graphic, um, imagined, but graphic descriptions of what happens to a trans person, trans person's genitals. If they choose to have, um, a, um, surgery of some description um and not all trans people do choose to have surgeries and that's both trans men and trans women and non-binary people um if they would like that medical um, intervention and it is straight up only their business um but like the you know that and like pressures pressuring people a a favorite one is um coming in and saying why don't you become one of like the 40 something percent of trans people who off themselves um it is a shockingly high number the the um i'm very i'm actually approaching the upper age um of life expectancy for trans women which is under 40 in north america It's like 38 um That's a thing. That's kind of scary to think about. Like, and most of that's privilege. But like, um, I, we I wanted to kind of bring it back to the feminism thing, though, because like my personal experience off of the internet um, has been almost overwhelmingly positive. Um, of the relationships that I had when coming out in a broader sense, um, I've lost one of them, and it was an intimate partner relationship and it was definitely because of transphobia and misogyny. Um, And um, I'm writing a video essay on it right now, actually. Hooray exploring trauma. Um, But like the short version is, um, the short version is I was in a relationship with a cis woman um, that was we were together for a fairly long time, and we knew each other before that. And I was always pretty like, <clears throat> if you've known me for any length of time, I've been kind of like very obviously a queerdo of some sort, um, pushing the boundaries of what's kind of okay for civil, um, civil engagement in terms of what I wear. Um, and sometimes how I act, not necessarily in a harmful way, just like I dance in public and I climb on things and I dress colorfully and I'm a big person. So like, hmm. um, and there were outside problem, other, other problems in this relationship too. But, um, I came out as trans more than once, um, to my partner who was bisexual and did not have any genital preferences, um. And their response was to just like deny it and pretend that it didn't happen. Um, And then kind of like ramp up this pressure for me to be more masculine. Um, So like, oh, why are you growing your hair out again? You need to get it cut. Oh, why don't you like, I wish you like dressed more like, um, um, you know, like, stereotypical dude bro west west coast guy like go to Marks and get a pair of jeans and a and a check shirt or plaid and a vest right um that started to escalate to stuff like um if we'd ever have a disagreement um you only want me for my womb and my body and you are trying to control me as a woman and i'm like sitting here being like not not a man definitely not a man um, and you know that. And so this kind of behavior. um, and ultimately it got to the point where um, she was like, "I just can't be in a relationship with someone like you. Um, so like all of this was coming out because the idea of the attention that you would that she would get from being in a relationship with a trans woman was undesirable. Um, and it was manifesting as this like, really, Awful, toxic expression of um, transmisogyny. Where on the one hand I couldn't be masculine enough, but on the other hand I definitely couldn't be a woman at all. Um, and it really sucked. <laughs> that was that was a really interesting position to be in, right? Like I'd, um, and if you looked at it from the outside. Um, You know, I have, if you just had been sitting at the window, looking at it from outside, I have a partner coming home. Um, I was a house spouse at the time for reasons. Um, Partner coming home and saying, I resent you. Um, Why are you in sweatpants and a hoodie? Um, I wish you looked better when I got home. If an alcoholic beverage wasn't ready when they got home from work, um, they were not happy about that situation. Um, And if you had unplugged gender from that, like if you didn't know that this was a cis woman coming home to, well, a trans woman, but what you would maybe have considered like taken for a cis man, if you had seen the photograph. um, If you unplug gender from that, you see immediately how that is exactly what the kind of thing, the kind of situation that um, feminists in the 1950s were complaining about. Like yeah, that's the, straight
0: up abusive.
1: It, it was really? it was abusive. It was abusive. and I have no problem saying that that relationship was abusive. But the most fucked up part about it was the gaslighting. And you know, we've, we this kind of came up in this conversation. My partner wasn't a small woman, but I'm a big person and I have you know, three decades worth of martial arts experience and even appearing angry, or loud, raising my voice at all, was this, this is a man who will hurt me. And so I was kind of under this whole like cloud of constantly walking on eggshells and not being able to have any emotions outside of like, neutral or positive, because my abuser would turn around and say, I'm scared you'll hurt me. I'm scared that you will be a man and hurt me well after having come out and been very clear that I was a, not, and b not like that. Um, And to finish this story off near the end of our relationship, um, there was, um, she got involved with another person who is a cis guy um, at a music festival as one does. And I didn't mean to, but like ran into them kind of the morning after, not in a good headspace because it was not really with my consent. Um, And I just shook his hand and was like, hey, this has nothing to do with you. Sorry that you had to kind of be involved with this, but hey partner, you and I need to talk. Um, And she told me afterwards like, oh, Buddy said that if it had been him as the other guy he would have like started a fight, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the this is huge, huge gift, huge gap here in um, behavior." So, like, that was my experience being. I, I the the most direct way I can explain transmisogyny as a concept is being in that position where, um, you can't you. you all of the expectations are for you to be a certain way. Um, And it's also making these really binary distinctions as to what these roles should be in every aspect of your life. Um, And then having that imposed (laughs) upon you from the outside. Um, Yeah, it's, it sucked. (laughs) Um, And that was like, so it's like 2017. So like my first year of being out as a trans woman um, to anybody, but myself basically um, was stuck in a situation where I could not express myself. And I had a ton of expectations to behave a certain way for somebody else. Um, and it was definitely an abusive situation. Um, it became that way.
0: Yeah, I can, uh um... Can feel into what you're describing, and I can relay it on so many levels. You know that um, the intersection of, um, of feminism and you know, and what it is to walk as a trans woman, to me is not. You know, I. That's why I think the.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, feminism probably needs to, or really does need to sit with that intersection and understand the, um, the pains are very similar. Like the, you know, what you're describing in relationship, I've had relationships like that too, you Mm -hmm. know, where the expectation is because I am the woman in the relationship that I have a role to play. And that, the other person can go in and out of whatever it was that he wanted to do with his role.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: either show up to it or not show up to it. You know, but uh, that that my role was really solidified and um, that I, I can really, that, that must have been very difficult uh, to navigate when you were going through that experience. The expectation that you were sort of like, both the housewife and the man of the house.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that the imposition of your role, um, meaning that you, you had certain responsibilities or that there were expectations around how you were showing up in the world be- based on those stereotypes. Um, that must've been very difficult navigation for you. Mm-hmm. Very confusing.
1: Um, Yeah, I'd I'd say confusing is a good word, Um, especially when, like, I I mean, that whole story um, ultimately comes down to, like, a situation where I gave my power away in a relationship, Um, and don't ever do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree.
0: Don't ever do that.
1: All uh, listeners,
0: don't ever do that in a relationship.
1: Don't ever. Um, and I, you know, that was kind of the start of it where like, I let them, um, control a major life decision specifically where I worked. Um, they threatened, they threatened to break up with me if I didn't quit my job and then turned around and complained that I didn't have a job. You can see how that is kind of a catch 22 for me. Um, so that was like the beginning of it. And then, um, I mean, things happened in there. Um, But like at one point I said, okay, this relationship matters more to me than other things do. Um, And once that happened, once I started say like putting other priorities before or putting the relationship before other priorities in life, that means things like standing up for yourself. That means things like saying no, Um, start to go out the window. Um, And so even though I was kind of like, hey this is who I am once it got to I'm not okay with that it's like okay well I guess if if it's going to threaten most important thing then I'll put that back and put that back in the closet (laughs) as it were um and then yeah after that relationship ended it's kind of been it's been an adventure um I started film school right away so even then like there's this other conversation about being a trans woman and how you manage it like Hang on, this is gonna sound really weird for a second, but I've been kind of doing this whole interview in like my like kind of queer boy voice. Um, But even a question of coming onto the show and talking to you and how I wanna present myself um, to an audience, especially that's just an an audio recording um, is do I wanna go like this or do I wanna spend an hour and a half um, talking like this and seeing if the audience has a completely different response to who I am as a person because it really changes. I had some. I, I did this on a stream the other day and had somebody be like, OK, I thought it was somebody else talking. Um, but this is like way closer to something that I would use if I really wanted to pass as um, a femme because it's pretty close to female <laughs> vocal range. Um, it also takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Um, but how I am, how I choose to present to who is a big aspect. And, and like for people who are transitioning after they've gone through puberty once and choose to do it again, um, (laughs) which is kind of where I'm at. I've been on, I've been on hormones for like two years. So like, I'm still kind of in the middle of, um, body changes and stuff. Um, how, like, every time I go out the door, um, I'm like, how are people going to perceive me? And that's something that, like, being a big person, I kind of had, like, a glimmer of before. But as a trans person, it's completely different. Like, um, if I... You know, it's like if I want to go and take a walk through my neighborhood, do I put on a skirt and a tank top and maybe get catcalled and have people yell "faggot" at me from a passing car, or do I wear a hoodie and cargo pants and have people just be like, "Oh, that's a dude." Um, those are kind of like the choices. Even though, like, um, I. I very definitely have boobs. Um, If I am not wearing a jacket, if I'm just walking around in a hoodie, I very obviously have breasts. Um but again I'm very tall like if I'm just standing if if I'm standing next to random person you're just gonna look up okay actually no this is really funny my um the most brutal misgendering ever I was uh waiting at the grocery store for the person in line in in front of me to like sort out their their buggy or something before I went in and their toddler just like looks at me and goes dad and I'm just like fuck I'm going home today's over Um, Oh,
0: man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not only are you misgendered by a baby, but they're considering you parental as well. That's a double mm, whammy right there.
1: mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Oh, no. Hormones. Mm. Um, Well, I'm
0: menopausal, so we could talk about hormones, would you like?
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't mind. Um, And... For all those listeners out there, I am on hormone replacement therapy. I take 75 milligrams of spironolactone and nine milligrams of estradiol every day in pill form, which is what is available cheap in this province, Um, (laughs) because I am living off the government right now, thanks to COVID, Um, and... My hormonal profile, I need to get my blood drawn and checked again, but the last time I had it checked, um, was basically what you would find in a cis woman. So that's cool. Um, and like, there's some really interesting changes and, and listening to like, I know a lot of trans men as well. So, um, people who have, who have gone through, um, testosterone hormone replacement therapy where basically you just take testosterone shots once a week or something like that um or use some sort of other delivery system um and so you're kind of you know going opposite directions here um what i find really interesting is like spironolactone on its own can affect libido like it's a it's a drug that um, reduces your amount of the amount of testosterone that your body produces. It's usually prescribed for, um, men with prostate cancer. Um, and it's also used for something with kidney functions or something like that. It's a diuretic, which means you have to pee a lot, which kind of sucks. Um, <clears throat> and of course, estrogen is estrogen. Um, whew. My libido is very different than it was. Um, Like it's not gone, but the things that um, I find arousing are different the way that, how do I want to put this? Um, Orgasms are different. They're way better and there's not all as much mass. Um, (laughs) And like, so there's this thing on lots of testosterone and trans guys will talk about this where like, just aggressively horny without even wanting to be. Um, and, and not having that, and a lot of trans women, like that's a major source of dysphoria for a lot of trans women. Um, and not having that is kind of like a relief. Um, and it's true, I think in a lot of ways, that's a bit of a relief. And then it's funny, you listen to trans guys on the other side and they're like, oh, I suddenly get why dudes check out girls. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, because you're horny all the time. Um, so it does. Um, it, it definitely has that kind of impact. Um, but then on the other side, like when you have a lot of estrogen in your system, oh, do you want to make a baby? <laughs> Even if you can't. Um, yeah, it's so, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, weird
0: and fascinating for
1: sure. Right, right. So like, before transition, like I had, I definitely had like sexual fantasies of what it would be like if if um, I were having sex with somebody and I was a woman. Um, and but like now, um, those sexual and those sexual fantasies are like occasionally pregnancy fantasies, which is kind of weird um but like very common um and you run into and this is going back to the conversation about radical feminists like there's this the conspiracy part is this idea that like if trans women are actually men and the whole purpose of the patriarchy and can't believe that's the first time that word's been used so far in this conversation but the whole oh purpose my god of the right
2: patri- <laughs> right
1: Uh, If the whole purpose of the patriarchy is to control women's bodies and trans women are actually men who are agents of the patriarchy, then they're trying to steal wombs, et cetera. And so even going into the conversation of, um, wow, I'm a trans woman and I'm on estrogen and I wish I could become pregnant and carry a child and birth a child and be a mom, um, is seen by, um, turfs as this kind of like message that they want to literally rip the wombs out of cis women somehow and put them in themselves which is crazy um, first crazy. of all um, it also operates under the assumption that there is not an entire group of people who would very happily give up their wombs and ovaries um, because they are men and did not want them in the first place um, which is a whole conversation in trans world where you're like, you'll be like, have a trans girl be like, Oh, I wish I had bigger boobs. And then like three trans guys show up being like, here, have mine. I wish we could do it. Um, <laughs> um,
0: well, and I mean, for real, like what, what business would it like, would I have or anyone else in the world have it disagreeing with. If that e- that even could happen,
1: mm-hmm. like even it's if that adults, yeah.
0: like even if that could happen, mm-hmm. why would anyone really have an argument with it? You know right. that that if you want the responsibility of being a womb bearer, because mm-hmm. it's there's responsibility in that,
2: mm-hmm. like big
0: responsibility in that, and uh, if you want that, why? You know, why would anyone stand in the way of of you pursuing that if that is a deep desire and if it were even possible?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: um But that's my opinion. Like I, I feel deeply like humans. You know, we have this ability to just live in our in in our truth. If mm-hmm. if we really step into it, we have the ability to live in our truth and that. Um, the fact that that becomes violent uh, for many people. To live in Mm -hmm. your truth becomes violent. I mean, I don't want that anyone should live in their truth and meet with violence. And yet, you know, I'm a woman. And the moment that I step into my alluring self, Mm -hmm. um, that I'll tell you something funny about breasts. Uh, I -hmm. had a picture, a couple of pictures online, of me just like being me and you could kind of see a bit of side boob. I do not have large breasts at all. Um, In fact, I don't really think of my breasts very much about them being like the kind of best part of me or the most showcased part of me. Mm -hmm. But you know, this one part of Like you could see a little bit of side boob and -hmm. you would not believe I got so much like flack for it, mostly from women um, about how much I'm showing off. But like that piece of of being alluring, it's like so much violence gets targeted towards me. Mm -hmm. I had had people um, sending me, uh, men sending me invitations to date them, to have sex with Mm them, uh, dick pics you name mm-hmm. it and i like not a ton but a few and then i was like are you kidding me this is because i posted a picture with a tiny hint of side boob and mm-hmm. that me being in my alluring self is so it's it's my truth and it's dangerous yep because the moment i say no to that kind of invitation you know and again i'm not trying to put myself in a victim mode it's just yeah. something i notice it's like the moment I say no to that kind of invitation, then the violence comes. It's like, well, then I can call you a dyke. Then I can call you, you know, you can, mm-hmm. I can call you a bunch of awful, or like, names that mm-hmm. are, you know, from my violent place of, mm-hmm. of demeaning you because you are turning down my, you know, my unwanted advance or yeah. my criticism. And, and just... To me, I'm like, wow, how can you stepping into your true self in any way impact me in a negative way?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I, I definitely feel that. And like, this isn't an all men thing, but it's definitely an all men thing. Um, having tried to date as a gay man or bisexual man, um, didn't work very well. You get the same shit. I've, I've, I've had I had more unsolicited dick pics than. Than I get now. I'm in, I intimidate people. Um, I, for whatever reason, like a lot of trans girls who have even like a remotely visible presence online, um, get a lot of that kind of attention. So there's there's an entire class of creeper out there for trans women. Um, we call them chasers, and the idea is that they're fetishizing you for your body. Um, they have expectations of what a trans woman will be like sexually. They have expectations of um, the uh, the genitals that a trans woman has. Um, like in the porn world, if you get bottom surgery, your career as a trans woman in porn is probably over because there is a market for a certain body. Um, and so those kind of and for whatever reason, thankfully. I don't get a lot of that kind of attention Um, but I have and like if I go out dancing I will definitely get that kind of attention and if I go out onto the street dressed the wrong way I will get that kind of attention Um, and I've also been like I've also been the person in the position of having the other person think this could get violent if I say no
0: Which is Diagnostic will return in just a moment. You can get a hold of me, Dawn Dancing Otter, at my website, theweaveworkschool.com, for coaching, for healing arts, and for any classes that I might be offering on trauma healing with animism-based lineage. You can also help us out by sharing this podcast broadly with your network, and also by subscribing through Patreon, and we're at patreon.com. The Witch's Diagnostic. Thanks for tuning in today.
1: Um, Which is interesting to think about. Like, I definitely... um, have the capacity to hurt people because I'm a very big person who's good at hurting people. Um, And I understand... I, at least I can intrinsically understand what it's like for somebody to be afraid of that, of having that like space, um, where so even like, even when my partner, um, and I broke up, like it was pretty clear that they were afraid that if they broke up with me, I would have a violent reaction to them. It's, which is like one, it's so ingrained and I don't blame, I, I understand, and I don't blame women for feeling that way um, because it's 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 like dealing with the ticking time bombs, right? You just don't know. <laughs> and I get it that. It is,
0: you do, yeah, I mean, and not that you deserve that in any way. And hmm. I, you know, I would never imply that. And I also, uh, you know, just for the record, Uh, Foxy, I want to relate that, um, you know, you're, you're such a multidimensional human, that you're a trans woman, and, and so many other, you know, wonderful things, there's not, and complex things, it's not the only uh, reflection of your beingness. And, and so even though we focused on that in the show, um, Mm -hmm. I did want to, you know, say, I know you as a human, you're not just somebody I met on the internet. We, we met each other and there's complexity and, and yeah. that complexity is, is known. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I think sometimes people can be hyper um, focused on the one aspect that is, I guess, physically noticeable or something that maybe creates questions or discomfort Mm -hmm. um, or challenges or triggers us. Like, um, this is not the same thing at all, but I'm 50, I'm menopausal. And Mm -hmm. I, I think I act like a menopausal woman. I I don't have, (laughs) if there is such a thing, like, I don't have
2: Mm
0: a, I don't have like the same structural filter as a menstruating woman. I don't, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, definitely I say things, that are from the deeper truth knowing that there's consequences and doing it anyway and Mm -hmm. uh, violent or otherwise and uh, I also know that there is this piece that feels very connected to being alluring in the world Mm -hmm. and being you know being in my beauty and those things for some other people are confusing because they're like Mm -hmm. wait a minute kind of think I'm into you, but you're also old and. (laughs) Oh yeah. And it's, it's, so it's weird, right? Like, and, and that can elicit, uh, some, actually some violence, uh, and, and it has, but I, I would say not violence, uh, physically so far, but more violence, uh, verbally, but Mm -hmm. I would say that, uh, you know, I feel like people stepping into their truth, no matter what that appears, is always going to create kind of and confront those limitations that people sit with that think that they need to sit with, they need to have those limitations in order for them to be okay in this world. They have to have those limitations and, um, what, one of the things that I, you know, as a human who is just like everyone else kind of moving in the space of growing into understanding gender as a complex um, hmm. question and and more in the question of social construct than in the question of bio- biology or um, predetermined expression,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that, you know, there's an never-ending, there are never-ending co- confrontations of, mm-hmm. of what we understand to be Normal or what we understand to be regular or typical, and uh, then we start to create this box around what belongs and what doesn't. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I just feel like, you know, one of the things I want to acknowledge is that I'm really messy in in that walk. I'm really messy. I I mess up and fuck up with the whole um, like the way to talk about. Uh, Trans, trans folk the way that the way that sounds most respectful, the way that uh, feels the least objectifying, uh, or perhaps non-objectifying. I it's a it's a tough thing for I think many people. And uh yeah for for I'd love to I'd love for you to say what we talked about before I started recording around the preferences of Um, of the way in which you prefer to be addressed and what would be considered the most respectful way of addressing a trans woman?
1: Some terminology, I guess. Um, Trans terminology 101. Um, When we're talking about gender, um, there are two really important words. Um, Trans is one of them. Um, And the other word that you're gonna hear a lot, especially on the internet nowadays, is cis. Um, It's spelled C-I-S. And both of those words come from Latin roots. The word cis has been around since Roman times. Um, Don't let anybody else tell you differently. Um, And basically what these terms mean, um, trans is pretty obvious. It means passing over, crossing over, and Kind of obviously to the other side and then cis kind of just means like staying where you were so when you hear the term cisgender it's referring to somebody who um was what we call assigned say they were um say it's a man who was assigned male at birth um, when the doctor takes a look and is like oh you're a man and then all of the gender expectations go on you're a boy um, and they are indeed a boy we would say they are a cis man. If someone um, was assigned a female at birth um, and they are a man and they transition, um, whether socially or medically, and even if they don't transition, they still identify, um, they would be considered a trans person. Um, And it gets more confusing because there are non-binary genders, which is a discussion that's involved. But not all binary people consider themselves to be trans. some are gender fluid. Some just want to be called non-binary. Um, so that's kind of like the basics. Um, every now and then you will hear trans-exclusionary radical feminists um, say things like, cis is a slur uh, because it's not. It is absolutely not a slur. Nobody can make it a slur and it's just a descriptor. Um, but by pointing out that a person is cis, you're, they think you're kind of trying to pigeon them into saying that trans people are real. Um, Oh boy. Gender critical people are living in pretty much a fantasy world of their own making. What gets really dangerous is like when the things slip out to the normal public and you create a question of, you know, but I have concerns about that 10 year old girl playing sports with, or 10 year old, 10 year old quote unquote boy playing, playing sports with girls. Um, And then you get into things like, um, so pronouns, we can do the pronoun thing, that's fun. Um, I identify as a non-binary trans woman. Um, My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. I generally prefer she, her, because it's more comfortable for me, Um, but I am totally okay with gender neutral pronouns. And just as kind of an aside, we do this all the time, and I'm a writer, and I do language stuff all the time. So they, them, the gender-neutral pronoun, has been in use for longer than gendered pronouns, or longer than it has been as a plural pronoun. So you'll often hear people be like, so they, them is used to, you know, when I'm referring to a group of people, but when I refer to one person, that sounds weird. Um, But if I say, like, I hear you went to the doctor today, what did they say you don't think i'm referring to a group of doctors you have a non-gendered subject the doctor and you're looking for information what did they say we use it all the time gender neutral language use it for stuff makes it's inclusive for everybody so if you don't know the gender of a person because you haven't asked and so like if you were talking about me and you know and you didn't know anything about me you just saw me on the street Um, or like heard my name and you didn't know which pronouns I preferred, the safest thing to do is say, oh, that's Fox. I wonder what they're up to. Um, And then you're not putting any expectations on them. And then there's the whole world of, of, um, neo-pronouns, which non-binary people tend to use they can be confusing even for me but the rule generally the rule is if you are unsure at all just ask most people it's thrilling when i first came out and like was doing like socially transgender trans affirming things um like even being remotely feminine public having people be like what are your pronouns was very affirming um usually it was queer people <laughs> um So yeah, those are, that's kind of my like talking to trans people 101, Um, I never, ever, 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 ever ask, can I ask a personal question? Because there is only one direction that that question goes.
0: Wow, yeah, (laughs) I can just imagine. And yeah, 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 totally not cool. Totally (laughs) not cool. Jesus, I'm sorry, that has to be a part of your world. Um, It's
1: it's just, it's interesting for me to talk about. And obviously like I do it with a lot of levity because you have to do it with a lot of levity. Um,
0: I imagine that's true. I mean, you have to do, I think most of life that way you can't laugh, you cry all mm -hmm. the time. But Mm -hmm. sometimes and I've said this many times, like if we're not getting pissed off about things sometimes, I mean, we're just not awake. And yeah. yeah, I can understand that. Um, you know, getting frustrated or angry at the circumstances that you're walking, um, lack of considerate human rights, and a lack of protections, and also danger um, mm-hmm. being part of your world, being something that I can imagine. You know, yeah, you have to you have to laugh in some ways to keep yourself from crying too much, but at the same time getting angry about these things and, and becoming somewhat activist is really, you know, the step I believe that we take into, into mm-hmm. empowering empowering change. And-
1: Yeah. Um, well, I kind of wanted to, to touch on something that just brought up something you talked about before is that people being in their power and activism. Um, and I've been an activist for lots of things for a long time. Um, I tend to like really take on Um, causes that are important to me and there's this thing that happens when not just as an activist but when when a person is in their in their power as an individual um, as a conduit for I mean the, the energy of life that fits with them the best there is an unavoidable attraction to that person. And how people outside of that person um, read that is very different, independent on their their experience and worldview um, and expectations. Um, and so I think, you know, when you you see, um, a sexually empowered woman, um, somebody who is, um, and not even somebody who's being like sending that energy out to people who is just being like, this is who I am. And I feel sexy and I want to be sexy. Um, just being in that space of being in your power is attracting attention, whether or not that attention is sexual attention. Um, from people who might be attracted to you or it's negative attention from people who might be jealous of you um, or it's exploitive attention from people who wanna be near that energy of a person who is empowered. Um, That's just a, that's a thing, that's a thing. And um, the more that you are from a marginalized group, the more dangerous that position becomes. Um, I think. And just it, it, it just is, it just has to do with the fact that we have a, we've created a society where individual value is based so much on gender and racial and wealth hierarchies. So that when instead of seeing a person in their power doing whatever, we try to judge ourselves in relation to them or we try to own them or we try to beat them at their own game um, instead of just allowing ourselves to like admire a person in their power and use that to to inspire ourselves to get to that position, to that place. Even before, so this is fun. So like before coming out um, as as trans, I tended to get a lot of like cis men being like, "Oh, you're such a role model. Whatever, you're really cool." You're, mm-hmm. um, and people still call me cool, which is very flattering. Um, <laughs> um, and that always made me feel really uncomfortable, right? Because I'm like, I'm just doing my life, and I'm just trying to be the best person I can be, um, and I'm trying to. Um, I'm not trying. I'm not. necessarily to inspire anybody or to inspire that kind of attraction Um, but it comes your way and like having to manage that if it's always felt really weird when guys have been like i really look up to you as some sort of like role model of masculinity and i'm like (laughs) jokes on you then Uh, yeah i have a list of of um of movie characters that people compare me to and I kind of like joke that they're all trans now um (laughs) really oh yeah oh yeah you want my list okay I want your Um, list I've had Han Solo I've had Obi-Wan I've had Ferris Bueller I've had um Faramir of Gondor from Lord of the Rings um oh I'm missing one curses I can totally see Faramir I had a drunken mall Santa at my bar call me Faramir.
0: I could see that one easily and well.
1: <laughs> that yeah, was really funny. So they're all trans now. Um, I'm sure there's a few more. Um, anyway, so like like that kind of energy, I'd get. I'd I'd have people like putting on me, and I'd be like, so okay. <laughs> um, I guess that's a thing. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah well i i think sometimes these things exist in in lots of different echoes in the world and
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah for sure i think i've probably been a crone woman since i was like five and <laughs> now i'm like actually there i'm like well it was kind of always this uh surprisingly it took it took a long time for me to get here i think the absence of estrogen has uh, has actually clarified my my being so much mm-hmm. uh, and not that I have any uh, I don't hold anything against people who are you know at a, a higher level of estrogen at all I just know <laughs> that uh, it, it totally uh, my brain was totally different back then mm-hmm. um, for sure oh, yeah. but um, oh yeah this is quite another thing now uh, but um, you know Fox I I could talk to you literally, <laughs> literally all day, all night. Uh, what I do, and I'd love to bring you back and we can get in yeah. depth that many other things. What would you like other people to know about your world and what you're involved in right now?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, geez. What I'm involved in right now. So my world um, is kind of, I wish I could say it was like really busy and exciting, but it is not. It is COVID quarantine, um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time alone right now, um, which is a thing, um, which has kind of been a double-edged sword. I've spent a lot of time like working on myself and getting my fitness into a place where I'm happy with it again, which I've kind of fallen off, and working on art, like working on building my own kind of artistic business. So. Um that is my YouTube channel, which is Fox Tales, FOXXTALES. You can find that on YouTube. Um, I most recently have done a couple video essays that I really like. I did one on um, The Good Place, which is an ABC sitcom about the afterlife and um, how, we ha- how the it, it's a show about like moral philosophy and how to be a good person in the afterlife. Um, and I, it's not so much, a, my video is not so much a critique as it is a conversation about the limits of Western mythology um, and how an indigenous perspective into storytelling might actually improve that story and how um, the character, one of the characters in the story itself was um, kind of trending in that direction, um, due to how the story had to come together, even though it didn't seem to be delivered at the beginning. Um, And it talks about art, specifically art, and um, how we make art um, in a relational sense, as opposed to an imperial sense. Um, And I also do, I do a cooking show, which is kind of silly, but I like to cook and share the weird things that I make with people. And I do an interview show, which you have been on, Don. Um, Usually they come out once a month. I took a break last month because I was very tired um, because of the other side of what I do, which is screenwriting. And so I am trying to break in um, to Hollywood. Um, And I mostly write... Ugh, I was recently asked to like describe your writing style in a tweet. And I was just like, oh no. Um, <laughs> I, I write. Um, oh geez. What a, I get to, I get to the part where I get to talk about myself. And then it all goes out the window. Um, I write a lot of genre fiction. So like science fiction and fantasy. Um, and I also, I, um, like writing like action adventure that is not necessarily fantasy or science fiction um and I read a lot I write a lot so this year I'm sorry this is really jumbled you might want to edit it I read That's a cool. lot don't
0: worry just do, just <laughs> as you were and and I'll yeah. go through and pick out the the power the power points okay.
1: Okay. Um, I write a lot. Um, last year I wrote a feature film about, um, it's a a holiday romantic comedy, um, about a girl from the big city who goes to the small town and falls in love with the hunk there. Um, that is, and whenever it, it, whenever I end up writing something, it definitely comes out like weird. So as in not, not normal, Um, not the normal way you would expect it. So it was a Hallmark Christmas movie outline basically that became a story that I wrote. So um, there's a lot of, there's more conflict and there's a lot more anti-authoritarianism and a lot more female empowerment and it's fun. Um, And then I think I mentioned it earlier but I wrote a TV pilot um, called Mounds about a, a college baseball star who comes out as a trans woman and um, decides to like navigate continuing to play the sport and transitioning at the same time and like all of the stuff that comes with that. Um, and then um, I have another wrote another TV pilot about a Canadian couple who moves to the United States. Um, and she is a sports psychologist who's working with college athletes and he is a stay-at-home husband because he can't get a green card. Um, and it kind of like that one plays on like the politics of, you know, being, being a Canadian in, in contemporary United States. Um, and the main character Cedar um, is put in charge of um, esports athletes. So video gamers, not you know like your traditional athletes. And she comes from a sports background. So lots of room for humorous conflict in that one. Um, and I am currently working on a project, which is the first time I'm going to talk about it in public. That's cool. Um, it's called Rumble and Grow. And it is a short story anthology um, that I am editing and coordinating um, with myself and five other writers. I think there is one cis guy. Um, otherwise, it's all trans people and people of color, including my cis guy as a personal color. Um, and the theme of that is future punk stories. So they're they're science fiction stories, um, and the theme is reproduction. So how we um, not necessarily physically reproduce, but um, this concept of reproduction in, um, in a more, and you want some, some deep feminism, this is coming out of um, like Sylvia Federici's um, third wave feminism stuff. Um, it's a great essay on it called, Feminism and the Politics of the Commons um, is, is the book. And the essay is Marxism, Feminism and the Commons. Um, And it talks about how reproduction isn't something that is generally considered women's work, but it also includes um, education and raising children. Um, And in a Marxist sense, the labor that goes into um, providing labor for the market. So like all of that work that a woman has to do to prepare the man to go out to sell his labor on the market Um, is considered reproductive labor in in this work. So when we're talking about um, reproduction, it's how do we pass on the values of our society to the next generation? What does that look like? What are our methodologies? Um, And so in a future sense, like I have, um, like my story is about about a driver in North America that's kind of like struggling through this ongoing collapse like the united states has collapsed um and the pacific states in bc have kind of like formed their own kind of thing and there's like independent indigenous indigenous sovereignty sort of but then there's also like the remnants of the settler colonial states um and how they all conflict and and my story is about this person who um you know, it's a very simple adventure story, like drives across the country to get the MacGuffin and then like escape with it kind of deal. Um, but it all, it, the whole thing deals with like, um, how we pass on our values to another generation, even if they're found family, um, or how we, um, have managed to, um, turn turn the values um, of our society into something that can be sustainable or, or not sustainable and why. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm into. I'm really interested in, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, you can check out my YouTube channel where I talk a fair bit about that kind of, uh, kind of stuff. Um, anyways, yeah, again, you, you, like you said, we could talk about this forever. Um, I really enjoy talking about how, uh, how this, I really enjoy talking about stories. I really enjoy talking about how stories affect our lives and how we construct them and what, they, what meaning we put into them and stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun to talk about. Hopefully, Hopefully, there will be a whole bunch of my stuff published in the next year or two and then I won't have to like worry about it anymore. <laughs>
0: Well, I hope for that as well. And I look forward to all of that. And um, you're an amazing storyteller, really. Uh, I completely enjoyed our conversation today. And I look forward to doing it again sometime. I'm sure there's so much more we could be sharing. And and thank you for being uh, so willing to open the space for the listeners today. I think they have the opportunity to learn a lot from what you shared
1: yeah, I was. I'm glad to be here, and I'm already kind of at the end, being like, "Oh, I should have mentioned so much other stuff and got distracted." Um. <laughs> your
0: website again is, or your YouTube channel is, mm-hmm. um, Fox FoxyTales.
1: Tales. Fox or- Tales F O X X T A L E S, and um, I don't know if you put links with this, but you can. I'll send you those. Um, and if you're looking for me online, um, you'll find me. Um, Foxtails on Facebook as well. Um, and then if you're the type of person who likes to do Instagram or Twitter or anything like that, it's um, the at sign and then Foxfire, F O X X P H Y R E.
0: Awesome. So good. Thank you, Fox. Yeah. I appreciate you.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. It was great.
0: Awesome. you've been listening to the witch's diagnostic hosted by dawn dancing otter if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support our work please uh subscribe via patreon.com uh, the witch's diagnostic and subscribe at the various tiers five dollars ten dollars or fifteen dollars a month uh, those at the uh, premier or vip tiers will be uh given the opportunity to have some exclusive content on Patreon. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for subscribing and supporting our work.